Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Brennan Schaefer back here with you for another episode of Be Shafe Daily. And today we're talking about a little bit of social media rumors and happenings going on on a Thursday this week. It's something that we're used to by this point in time. Athletes with, whether it be Instagram or Twitter, various social medias, they'll put out posts that you as the fan understandably so in many cases, ultimately end up viewing as being kind of cryptic. What What's the message this player is trying to send out? Could it be related to a trade? Could it be related to a contract? Could it just be nothing at all and we're reading too much into this? That's kind of been the game that we've had to play in more recent years when it comes to social media. And we had another instance of this on Thursday with an Instagram post by Cardinals second baseman Colton Wong. And the post was simply a picture of Wong on a baseball field in his Cardinals uniform with the caption, thank you, hashtag Cards Nation, or Cardinals Nation. I forget which of the two it was, but the point was he was thanking Cardinals fans. And in a a vacuum, you know, that really, a lot of people could see that and just think, okay, whatever, but... There is also the side of that, and we've seen it before, if a player is thanking a city, maybe there's uh, an indication from that that maybe his time in that city has come to an end. And that's certainly the way a lot of people, after viewing this Instagram post, took to Twitter with that thought process in mind, and a lot of people were ready to declare the Colton Wong era as a St. Louis Cardinal finished. Later reporting, Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat tweeted out that he had asked Colton about the situation and said the post was simply to thank Cardinals fans for their support this year and to thank them for the birthday wishes because Colton Wong, earlier this week, celebrated his 30th birthday on October 10th. So happy birthday to Colton. But understandably so, this was something that people were talking about because Let's add the context here. Colton Wong is not somebody I think a lot of people are thinking about necessarily just yet when it comes to Cardinals that could potentially depart the team this offseason because a lot of the attention goes to Yadier Molina, who has obviously become a free agent or will become a free agent at the end of the World Series, and Adam Wainwright, who's in a similar boat. Neither of those players have any contract with the Cardinals that extends beyond 2020, and so it's possible one or both of them will not be a Cardinal in 2021, whether that's by signing with another team or retiring in either of their cases. Yadier Molina has been on the record that he would like to play two more years. Adam Wainwright certainly has, though he's taken things year to year, certainly pitched in 2020 like a guy who would be worthy of another contract in 2021 even if it's just for one year, whether it's from the Cardinals or somebody else. Certainly looks like a guy who's got something left in the tank 
to add to a club on a pitcher's mound. So that's been those have been kind of the storylines that a lot of people have have taken notice of as we approach this this winter where changes could be potentially made uh, to the Cardinals' core because those are two guys obviously part of the core. And Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright have been with the team uh, since 2004. In Yadier's case, in 2006, really 2005, I believe, Adam Wainwright made his first appearance. I could be getting fuzzy on those years. Not going to look them up right now because it's hardly the point. Those guys have been longtime Cardinals and potentially this year, uh, this offseason, I should say, could be leaving the organization. That's actually true of Colton Wong as well. Uh, not a guy that's been with the Cardinals as long as as Yachty or Wainwright, but Colton Wong came up with St. Louis in 2013, and it is possible that he's played his last inning, taken his last at-bat as a St. Louis Cardinal. That's because, taking a look at the contract situation for Wong, his status for 2021 is not guaranteed. That may be something a lot of people were aware of. Others may not have even really realized that. But his 2021 salary is based on a team option for $12.5 million with a $1 million buyout. So what that means is the Cardinals, if they don't want to exercise that option, the team's option to bring Wong back for next season at $12.5 million, They'll have to buy him out. He gets a million dollars and he walks. He's a free agent at that point in time. And that's the status. There has been, you know, a little bit of rumblings over the recent months, you know, last year, year and a half, about Colton Wong to say, hey, his contract is coming up at the end of 2020. You do have that team option you can exercise and keep him for another year. But what would an extension look like as the Cardinals are handing out early extensions to Matt Carpenter, one that has obviously not panned out thus far? a deal they didn't need to make. But they did because in 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 part because of the loyalty they wanted to show to Carpenter as a longtime member of the organization, as a, a core member of the team. And so they locked they went ahead and locked him up. Colton Wong, that didn't happen with, and so now we're sitting here in October of twenty twenty with the World Series a few weeks away and then the off season upon us, and Colton Wong's status for twenty twenty one is is definitely T B D. Uh, again, want to reiterate that based on what's been reported, that this was just a false alarm with Colton Wong in the Instagram post. It wasn't related to his contract or anything like that. Uh, but it does uh, kind of allow the opportunity to have the discussion of where the Cardinals could be looking to go, what direction they want to take with that position, with second base. And it happens, again, not in a vacuum. It happens alongside all of the other decisions that the Cardinals have to make this offseason with regard to Yadier Molina, with regard to Adam Wainwright, and with regard to how they're going to fix the offense and how they're going to do it without necessarily spending a whole lot more cash than they've already committed for 2021. Because as we've spoken about on this podcast, it's going to be difficult to see, I mean, for me, it's difficult to predict anyway that the Cardinals are going to go on a spending spree in an offseason that immediately follows a pandemic-shortened year in which they didn't have fans at the ballpark and they didn't receive the revenues that they were expecting. Instead of 162 games, you got 60, and that means 30 at home. I know it probably shook out to a little bit on either side of 30 because of the different... uh, doubleheaders they had to play but 
none of those games featured fans in the stands. And so those revenues weren't coming in, and that's a problem the Cardinals are going to face, and it's a problem all teams in baseball are going to reference. There, It will be a topic of conversation when we talk about this free agent class and how teams are going to approach the offseason. Again, right or wrong, you're, you know, a lot of average Americans out there, average Cardinals fans who have been impacted by the pandemic in life-changing ways, you know, they they might sit here and say, "Look, I've I've lost my job. I've lost the, you know, I've lost this opportunity. I've I've had to to deal with this or that. I have loved ones who have contracted this disease, maybe even died from this from the from COVID-19." And so a lot of fans out there maybe aren't going to be um, as sympathetic or empathetic to the idea that, you know, very well-off baseball owners who uh, have, have you know, are, are probably better off in a lot of ways than people out there. It might not be a popular sentiment that teams are going to say, well, we just can't afford to do this or that. And so when I speak about these things, I'm not going to be using the language they can't afford to do this or that because I – frankly, we it's hard to know whether that's true. We don't have access to their financial books, and it's all a matter of you know what teams are willing to do, what contracts they're willing to dole out at what rates for what lengths of time in order to build the best baseball team they can, but also maximize profits. That's, that's the name of the game. So when I say Cardinals can't afford to do this, I, I really want to stress that what I'm intending to say is uh, the Cardinals and all other teams, I'm not putting the Cardinals in... in you know, timeout alone on this. It's not like I'm focusing in on one team. I think across baseball, you're going to see this be a topic of discussion. And it's going to be something that the Cardinals feel like and other teams feel like they cannot uh, stretch their their budgets in such a way. And, and again, reasoning for that, you've seen teams lay off other employees as well. It's not just going to be on the player's side on the you look at the 25 or the 26 man roster and say here's what their payroll is uh that it goes a lot deeper than that and other people throughout the organization have been laid off and 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 that's true not only for the Cardinals but again across baseball and so kind of my caveat into introducing this discussion is going to be uh money is going to be a topic of conversation across baseball this off season and whether or not teams feel they can make make certain additions via free agency or take on salary via trade, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how that goes, what the landscape is for that, because it's going to be different than it has been in years past. And in years past, speaking now specifically about the Cardinals, we know that they have been reluctant to add major salary implications from outside the organization. Nolan Arenado, the conversation surrounding him is a big example of that. But right now you talk about what's potentially coming off the books, if the Cardinals were, for whatever reason, not to bring Colton Wong back for that $12.5 million, that's $11.5 coming off the books because they would still have to pay him the $1 million buyout. And, and Wong's salary for 2020, by the way, which teams didn't pay full salaries, it was prorated, but I'm going to speak in terms of what they would have been paid over the course of a full season. Wong's contract salary for 2020 would have been just a shade over $10 million. And so he would be due a slight raise, a couple million dollars on top of that with the team option for 2021. But again, you're paying the $1 million regardless uh, because that's what the buyout would be. Wainwright's salary wasn't too substantial. I believe it was under $10 million. Yadier Molina's contract for the last three years had him 
owed $20 million for each of those seasons. And so that's obviously a big uh, decrease to the payroll, again, based off of what you have had to maneuver around in the last couple few years. Now, the Cardinals probably want to bring these guys back. Certainly, I would think they would want to bring back Yachty and Wainwright because of, you know, wanting those guys to finish up their careers as Cardinals after a decade and a half or more of having them as part of the family. Now, it's going to come down to money, and that's uncomfortable, but that's the reality of it. If Yachty was making $20 million each of the last three seasons, I'm telling you, I, I you, you got to know the way Yachty or Molina thinks. People say, well, here's what he's worth, and here's what the sabermetrics would say, and here's his war. Stop. You're wasting your breath. You really are. Because if if you're going to tell me that war says that Yadier Molina should be paid $5 million for a 2021 salary, you're out of your mind if you really think that that's what the baseball world's going to adhere to. I just don't see it happening, and I'll eat the crow if I'm wrong, but I come on here to give my opinions and, and how I see the lay of the landscape. That's just not reality. That's just not realistic to me that it's like, well, if he wants to play two more years as a Cardinals fan, I'm comfortable saying the Cardinals could give him a two-year deal for $10 million total, $5 million each season. Not going to happen. I'm not saying he's going to demand $20 million, but I'm also not saying he's not going to demand $20 million a year. Like, I I feel like he's got a, got a sense of what he's worth and is going to be willing to test that on the open market. Even in a pandemic, I think he's going to be willing to put that to the test. And he could lose that battle. He could lose that gamble for sure. But it only takes one one owner, one guy to, to, to say, you know what, adding that kind of leadership and winning experience to our team could bring, and then potentially an Adam Wainwright along with it if, if, it's a, if it really is a package deal between Wainwright and Yachty. Only takes one, and if you're Artie Marino, Los Angeles Angels, uh, an obvious fit that people have talked about because of the presence of Albert Pujols, those three could finish their careers together in Los Angeles could be something that Yachty might be attracted to. And if, if Wainwright is attracted to being alongside Yachty and, and Albert, I think that could, I'm not saying I'm predicting it, but I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't knock my socks off. It wouldn't stun me to have that take place. And so if, if that ownership group says, you know, Yachty or Molina would be, be great to bring him into the fold. And I'm willing to do that for two years and I'm just going to throw a number out, $35 million. So that would be 17 and a half per year. Decrease off of what Yachty's already made. Is he worth that on the field? You know, again, I, I, I am a buyer into to war and statistics, and I think those things matter, absolutely. And so I can say I don't think he would be necessarily worth that contract. I don't think you're getting bang for your buck if you're translating uh, wins above replacement to dollar amounts. I don't necessarily believe that Molina would – would would be a value at that rate could it could he sign for something like two years 30 you know 32 million that'd be 16 a year these things it's going to be interesting to see what the market brings for him if Yachty ultimately does test it and I think that's part of the reason you've seen this kind of standstill between the Cardinals and Molina because I remember at winter warm-up it was conversation about Yachty wanting two years and open to a contract and typically those things would get done in spring training it didn't happen. I don't get a sense that the conversations were particularly fruitful even before the pandemic. And so was it a deal of they just and then you get that news story coming out uh, during the, the shutdown about Molina wanting to play two more years, which he had already said. 
But the new news regarding that was the two more years didn't have to be in St. Louis. He just wanted to play. And that's a, a change from what he had said at winter warmup before the pandemic. And, and he cited the pandemic as a reason for change, changing, changing of heart. And so what that looks like and what the dollar amounts look like, I'm, I, I would say your guess is as good as mine, but I also do feel my guess is informed by the idea that why, why would, what, what part of Yadier Molina leads you to believe he would suddenly be willing to accept six million dollars per year I, I don't really think that's going to happen and again i'll eat the crow if i'm wrong but just in a conversation about what the dollar amounts could look like to, to bring him back um i i, I think it's going to be maybe more than than the war is going to tell you it should be because there is a lot of residual value there and especially for the cardinals organization i could see the benefit of making sure you lock that guy down um because it's not like the albert pujols contract that was multiple hundreds of millions of dollars and a, a decade-long commitment. This is two more years for a guy that you've already been able to retain for 15 years, 16 years. Maybe just bite the bullet, and even if you know, even if you don't think you're getting the full value or whatever, I think the residual value and the value of retaining him for life, I think that exists, and we know it exists for Bill DeWitt. That's not a question. It's something he's said before that he values and he showed before that he values. And so, you know, it's, it's why they're in that Matt Carpenter conversation. It's why, it's why that, you know, he didn't blink at having that extension take place before it had to, for that very reason. Adam Wainwright hasn't been paid uh, the last two years, like Yadier Molina has been paid. And it's kind of interesting because with the pitching job he did, let's, you know, take it back to 2019. Wainwright was, on that contract that was basically all incentives and ended up that he, you know, they, they even had provisions in there that he could earn this amount of dollars if he is a reliever in, in X amount of games or a closer in X amount of games. And he ends up netting about $10 million because 8 million incentives for performance bonuses he got. It was only 2 million guaranteed last year. Guaranteed was only 5 million similar situation. And so, could could Wainwright say, look, I've been doing this for the last two years on on contracts that were all based on my performance. A lot of guys in this game have, have been given contracts for multiple years based on what they've done in the past. And, you know, Wainwright was among those people. He got a, a long contract extension at one point in time, and then it expired, and they've gone year to year since. I don't necessarily think Wainwright is going to change his mind about year to year unless he can get two years out of the Cardinals or somebody else. But he certainly performed up to the expectation that I don't think he's got to settle for the incentive laden contract. Again, I think you could say, look, guarantee me the 10 million or the whatever. And to me, that's worth it. Uh, because just look at the numbers from the last two years, he's been at worst, like a, a, a middle of the rotation kind of arm that has logged a ton of innings. 171 innings in 2019 is not nearly what he did at his peak. But the 65 innings he gave you in 2020, highest on the team, and not it wasn't particularly close. And so that's 6.5 innings per start that Wainwright had in 2020 and had two complete games, albeit one in a seven-inning contest. But just kind of thinking about, all right, was it going to cost the Cardinals to bring these guys back if that's the route they want to go? Um, I don't think you're getting them both for for a bargain. I think, I mean, realistically, if Wainwright's 8 to $10 million, 
Um, wouldn't surprise me, especially if it was again with with some performance incentives built in. I don't. I think he could could probably command a contract that doesn't include quite as much of those, based on what he's done. Uh, but in Yachty's case, I don't. I, I I'm not saying he's going to make 20 million, but I'm also not saying he's going to make seven. You know, I think it's going to be tricky. And and certainly, if the Cardinals were to say we, we'll give you one year for 15, Yachty might prefer two years for 25 like he might he might take a little bit less on an annual basis if he's guaranteed getting the two years that he wants so a lot of directions this could go but I started with all this talking about Colton Wong and how he fits into everything because again you know he, he started this year as the Cardinals leadoff hitter um, was that for for much of the season still all throughout when really he was having some struggles offensively and you look at the box score and the batting line and what he he did for the year, it's not exactly clean up hitter or pardon me leadoff hitter like, but at the same time you had a lot of guys that didn't really perform to their expectations throughout this regular season in 2020. That was a little different. I mean, a lot different. Wong still hit 265, which isn't a, a crazy difference uh, offensively from what he did in 2019. At a 285 average, 350 on base is still, you know, right around what he did the year before as a as an excellent leadoff hitter, with 361. Pretty much only became a a singles hitter though, because he just had a handful of doubles, had two triples and a home run. His slugging percentage goes down to 326, which was lower than his on base, and the OPS 675 not what you want to see. But he still gave you gold glove defense. I still think he should probably he he should deserve that gold glove award again in 2020, assuming they're doing all of that similar to how they have done it. I haven't really heard anything about about those announcements as of yet, but the defense that he brought you, I say exactly what you expected. Looks like they've got on baseball reference his wins above replacement at 1.2 for the season, which is fine, especially considering you the the amount of games like you, you span that out to a full season, uh, that ends up that ends up being right around that three wins. That is a pretty good number to have. I don't know what Fangraphs says, but that's just baseball reference because that's what I have pulled up. Offensively disappointing season. Who didn't have a disappointing season though for the Cardinals last year, outside of Paul Goldschmidt, maybe Brad Miller. And so I'm looking at this team for 2021. I'm saying yes, you've got all these things you have to consider with regard to cost and and payroll and bringing guys back and is there going to be a little bit of a crunch in that area compared to what there has already been and then how do you fix the offense any any money you do spend you'd think they'd want to ensure it's going toward improving an offensive unit that once again ranked toward the bottom of the league and that was the big thing coming into 2020 was they were supposed to fix that guys on the team didn't perform to expectations Tyler O'Neill Lane Thomas never really made a charge. Uh, Dylan Carlson did at the end, but probably uh, his the totality of his season wasn't really what you expected. I'd say for Harrison Bader, right around what you could have hoped for and expected, his his OPS was, I believe, third on the team, um, which wasn't saying a whole lot because the Cardinals didn't have a great offensive season, of course. But he improved a little bit over what he had done the previous year. He was kind of streaky for sure. Uh, but with the defense that Harrison Bader brought, I, a lot of people maybe won't like that, but I didn't have a, an issue really with, with what he did in 2020 altogether. 
everything considered. I mean, I know he's a guy that got a lot of flack from the fan base for a while there, but when you look at the end of the day, his numbers actually, now that I'm bringing them up, better than I even realized with a 779 OPS. You'll take 779 OPS from Harrison Bader for the next decade. I swear you will. If, if, if you tell me that he'll get that every year, it almost doesn't matter to me how he gets it. This year it was definitely with a little bit more power. You'd like him to be, to be a, a more of an on-base threat because once he gets on the bases, you know he's a, a threat to be able to steal. Only was 3-for-4 in stolen base attempts this year. Took 13 walks and 125 plate appearances. That's not bad. I'd have to look, but that seems like better than what he had been doing uh, on, on rate-wise previous in his career. 226 batting average, you'd like to see it go up. Like I said, 336 OBP, not great. But the 443 slug to get him to a 779 OPS and a 111 OPS plus. Again, if you could lock that in for Harrison Bader, lock him up for the next decade because you're probably not going to end up paying, you know, sign him to the extension because I don't know that it's going to be a crazy dollar amount necessarily. If And, and, and again, that every person's different of what they're willing to sign early to do, but... I know Harrison is a guy the Cardinals would have team control of for at least a couple few more years. Would have to look again to see exactly what that looks like. But offensively from center field, if that's what you get from him, I'm great for it. You look down the table a little bit further. Dexter Fowler had been performing pretty well before he had to go on the injured list due to the medication he was taking. If you remember that for the stomach issue, the ulcerative colitis he's dealt with throughout his career. But finishes the year with a 706 OPS. Not great, but some extenuating circumstances there. So could you go into next year? He's already under contract. Could you go in kind of anticipating he'll be your right fielder? I wouldn't I don't think that's even the worst thing in the world. And and people are gonna start to hear this and say, Well, how are you gonna improve if you're just bringing back everybody that that played poorly last year? I'll get to that. Um, you look left field, I do think you can expect Dylan Carlson to produce better than a 616 OPS. I'm going to end the conversation with the outfield kind of there. If you have Carlson, Bader, and Fowler, I don't think it's great. But if I'm thinking like the Cardinals might be thinking of trying not to spend and add a big contract, like I, I think George Springer, a name that's been tossed out, would be wonderful. I think he'd be fantastic. It would be an awesome fit for the Cardinals. But I, I think you got to roll with Dylan and see what he can do in the outfield. Um, the good news is if you bring in another outfielder, one of them can DH. What Probably Fowler or Springer would have to look a little further at Springer's numbers defensively. Um, but you, you need to add a bat somewhere. If DH is still a factor in 2021, Springer makes even more sense in that situation. So I, I like that. But if you had to get by with, with those three, I think you could do that. But I also think you would still need to add an outfield bat because I don't know if you can even trust that Tyler O'Neill is going to be uh, an excellent starter if, if he's your first man up off the bench. Same thing with Lane Thomas. There's Justin Williams. There's Austin Dean. There's other guys that they've had. Um, Dean randomly had the highest OPS for the Cardinals this year, but he only played in three games and had one hit. It was a double. He also took three walks, though. So he had one great game, and that's that's what lands him on top of the list. Um, otherwise, Paul Goldschmidt, 883, great season. Brad Miller, 807. Again, another guy who is pretty streaky, but if I'm the Cardinals, I, I would consider bringing Brad Miller back as well, just as, again, not somebody I'm counting on putting in my lineup every day, but he was like $2 bucks, and he ended up being one of the team's better hitters 
and carried them for a portion of the summer. So if you can get him back in the fold, I certainly wouldn't mind that. Uh, for a while, it seemed like all the guy did was hit. But then you get into the infield, and again, I'm not penciling Brad Miller into a spot. We'll see if they bring him back. But that's where I feel like you could potentially make some adjustments in one spot in particular. Goldschmidt at first base, that's obvious. To me, I'll go on the record and say it, bringing back Colton Wong, from my perspective, is also obvious. I don't think there's any reason that you would let him walk into free agency over a you know $12 million contract. See what he does in this year. If you, I'm not saying you got to give him an extension, although that could pan out if you give him a multi-year extension that the average annual value is a little lower than $12 million if, if Wong is willing to accept a deal like that, which he may be given the, the, the landscape of what free agency could look like, or he might say, no, I think, you know, I'm finally getting, I'm getting paid what I believe my market value would be. And if I have to test the market for a multi-year contract, then I'd be willing to do that. I don't know. Again, I can't read the future. I don't know how that would pan out for Wong, even without a pandemic to deal with. Within the context of a, of a pandemic, I don't know that he's getting getting that kind of contract. And so maybe that's what the Cardinals are saying and saying, look, we would like to bring him back, but we think 12 and a half is a little steep. And so if we can restructure something ahead of that, not have to decide about the option, we'll just make it a new contract. Maybe that would be the way to go. Or they could say 12 and a half, we can, we can pay him that and play out this next season. And if his performance indicates an extension at that point in time, we could do that. Or if it doesn't, we will still, you know, we might still have interest in bringing him back, but maybe it's not at quite such a a dollar amount that he's currently making with 10 million last year, 12 million this upcoming season that he's scheduled to, to receive. And so there's a lot of different directions they could go with that. The pandemic is going to color all of those directions and, and be part of their thinking in every regard. But even in a down offensive season for him, the 350 on base percentage is kind of what you want out of the leadoff guy. It doesn't bother me that he didn't have a whole lot of power. This was a weird short season. I think it would be a mistake off the great year he had in 2019 to say, well, his OPS was down in 2020, still probably won the gold glove, but because of that, we're, we're not going to pay him. And again, no indication at this point in time that that's what the Cardinals are thinking. I would think it would maybe even make more sense to explore a multi-year extension if they can get it for a value and a dollar amount that makes sense to both sides and go ahead and get that on the books right now. Whether or not they go about it that way remains to be seen, but I'm not looking at his 2020 offensive numbers and saying, well, they, you know, he's, he's bad. You can't, you can't have him, you know, making that kind of money and just don't bring him back. Let Tommy Edmond play second base and everything's going to be fine. Cause I don't really agree with that. You can look at Tommy Edmond's stats for this season. His uh, on, uh, OPS was 685. 10 points higher than Wong's. Uh, lower batting average, lower on base, a little bit higher slug. Not a great season offensively, though, either for Tommy Edmond. Had some clutch hits, as he's prone to do. But it's it wasn't like he was blowing Wong out of the water offensively. Again, do I expect that those numbers for both guys could improve in a full season next year? I do think that. I don't think, though, that you can say that at every position on your roster and say things are going to be good. Same thing goes for Paul DeYoung. You know, you guys know that I was high on him, and ultimately he, he gets on the COVID list, comes back, it doesn't work out. 671 OPS for the season, 250 batting average, not a huge slugging percentage at 349, just didn't have a great year, and really tuckered out at the end, which is something that he dealt with in 2019. So 
Not exactly sure what's behind that. I don't have a lot of defense for it other than it was just one of those years for a lot of guys in the Cardinals lineup, and that's kind of you know what you chalk it up to. But I keep saying you can't say that for every position, and so the position that I'm not going to say it for is third base. Uh, you can't go into 2021 with Matt Carpenter, the plan being he's going to be a starter on this team. I don't think you can do it. Um, I love Matt Carpenter, but I think if you're going to build build a team, you need to not worry about, especially with the DH in play, which it may well be again, you need to not worry about, well, where's that guy going to play if you bring in that kind of player? Could you have? It doesn't matter. You'll find a way. Just sign the best hitter you can or trade for the best hitter you can, and I'll find somewhere to put him if they can't. It's not – there's no such thing as it complicates things. There's no – who cares? At this point, you've got a plan to have a better offensive attack. If there's a player you can get, whether he's an outfielder or a third base, to me it doesn't really matter. You've got to find that player. So, like I said, if it's George Springer and it's an outfielder, that's okay. You can have Tommy Edmond take you know the bulk of that bats at third base if George Springer is in your lineup as a DH or as, a, as an outfielder. I could live with that. I think that that improves you. And if Edmund has a better season, great. You're looking great. If he doesn't, you still have Matt Carpenter that could potentially come in. But I'm not going in looking at Carpenter as he's the guy that his his revival is going to save this offense. That was this year. It was, you know, there were reasons to believe it could have happened. It was also kind of suspect given his injury history and his age. And objectively, it just didn't work out. And so... I don't think you can take a guy who I know, again, I gave everybody else a pass and said, eh, they might get better. Carpenter could too. But I think in after two consecutive years of doing it, it's going to be the same thing with Carlos Martinez when we get into conversation about him. He and Carpenter were two guys that, I should say, Carlos, with regard to his position as a starter, this was kind of like prove that you can do it again season. For Matt Carpenter, this was proved that you can hit again season and justify a starting role at the hot corner where teams need offensive production. He hit 186. He slugged 314. That's a wrap. For me, as far as team building and planning the roster, it's a. am not saying I'm ready to kick him to the curb. They've already paid him, and we know what he can do when he's good, so you might as well keep him. I don't think you're going to get trade value for him. I'm not advocating necessarily to trade Matt Carpenter. But I'm not going into the season with him in a starting role. I can't. From a team building and roster building perspective. But also, I should say, I didn't go into 2020 with Brad Miller in a starting role. And he took 171 plate appearances in 48 out of 60 games. So, things happen. He took he took three fewer plate appearances than Paul DeYoung. He took more plate appearances than Matt Carpenter, than Tyler O'Neill, than Yadier Molina. I know that, and Brad Miller wasn't healthy the whole time either. He he had a little bit of a, a slow start to the season, a late start because of injury himself. So the fact that those other guys I listed were all, or many of them COVID related, to me doesn't, doesn't really factor in a whole lot. That's to say that I'm not off the Matt Carpenter train. The example I would use is Brad Miller. You can have a guy on a roster that you don't necessarily want to count on him because I don't I think all Cardinals fans would have agreed they wouldn't would not have wanted to count on Brad Miller playing in as many games starting as many games as he did especially a cleanup but you look at the numbers at the end of the year and you say yeah it wasn't the end of the world they didn't have better options and so I don't have a problem with it looking back that's what we could be saying in my mind about Matt Carpenter at the end or in the latter stages of 2021 
because we say the Cardinals did not come into the season relying on Matt Carpenter like they had to have him produce or their offense was going to be behind the eight ball. They got somebody else. They said Edmund, we think, as a younger player, could be a guy that does take another step back toward what he did a year ago. We think that Matt Carpenter now has had a couple of rough seasons in a row and has had inconsistency, and so we're not going to count on that. If it happens and he he gets hot and he gets it back, that's great. Or if we have to end up starting him every day because of injury and we find out that way that, oh, he's actually good again, perfect. There would be no better scenario for the Cardinals. But my point is you can't come into the season looking like Matt Carpenter's your third baseman and Tommy Edmonds your, your third baseman slash outfielder slash DH the way they did last year. You've got to add one big bat. George Springer, to me, is big enough because I'm not going to get too unrealistic because I, I just, and again, there are probably other names out there, and we'll talk about them as, as the offseason goes. But to me, that kind of that kind of bat could make a difference on your offense. And yes, you're going to need other players to play better. No, it's not the Cardinals' style to tear everything down because nobody really hit last year except one or two guys. That's not their style to, to, to operate that way, and so I don't expect it. Nor would it be their style to operate that way in a pandemic, probably even if that is something they were they're prone to do. Like AJ Preller, that's something that he he turns his roster over every year and a half. That's fine. The Cardinals don't do that. They they like that consistency. They like being able to to build that kind of kind of team. And look, I I understand that Cardinals lost to the Padres this year. You know, I get it. It's certainly more exciting and interesting to have a guy like Preller running your organization when the Padres are are out here moving and shaking and not afraid to cut bait on something that they, you know, just acquired a year ago. They say, no, this is wrong. We're going to, we're going to get this guy now. We're going to go do it this way. I think Tampa Bay has really done things in a very similar fashion to a lot of success. They have an opportunity to reach the world series with one more win over Houston. So I think that there, there is something to be said for just going for it. And, and moving pieces when you've got pieces to move. The Cardinals, though, they want to build their core and then kind of operate on the periphery of the roster. Last year, though, the core, or I should say this year, 2020, the core did not perform up to expectations. The Cardinals' style is not to to bomb the core and change it, but there, there are going to have to be some willingness to make some moves, not just on the periphery, but like add a little bit to what the core could look like and try to adjust on the fly off a season that, yes, nobody expected. Yes, offensively, it was a disappointment. Overall, they still made the postseason and, and had a fine year. But it's it's just another year of what do the Cardinals have to do to make that next step? They continue to turn out pitching and have good pitching that keeps them in games. Their offense is something's got to give. If it's not on the coaching side, you know, if, if they're going to stick with this, this organizational approach to hitting, as they've done bringing in Jeff Albert, and they're not ready to 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 call to call that a loss which maybe it is maybe it isn't but it's certainly not gone good the first two years and this was supposed to be the year that they had integrated everything and were feeling better about it and you got the same results and so if that's not working one th- it doesn't strike me cardinals don't strike me as a team that are going to bail on something like that as as big as you know the jeff albert hiring to oversee the entire organization's philosophy to hitting doesn't strike me as a move the Cardinals uh, would make and, or, or would make lightly anyway. Um, and, and so remains to be seen what the coaching staff looks like for next season. But 
if that's not the direction they're going with a dramatic shift on the coaching side, which I usually, I've said over the years, when it, when it was John Mabry, I said the same thing. I don't think putting it on the hitting coach makes a lot of sense. It's the players that still have to play and produce. Uh, the hitting coach can only do so much. And th- there is a lot to be said for that, but something does have to give. And so if they're going to decide it's the coaching staff, that's one direction they could go. I don't expect it. To me, the easier direction would be, hey, stay the course with this hitting thing, find a way to fine-tune it and make it what it needs to be, but also add hitters who are a little more capable, add some depth, some strength to this lineup. We can do it by doing X, Y, or Z. It's finding those variables and getting it done. That's going to be a key for the Cardinals. But kind of started in talking about Colton Wong, where he fits, and so I want to wrap up saying I think he fits – I know this was a conversation that has been taking place on social media on Thursday because of the Instagram post. Uh, to me, it would be a mistake to let him go. I think rather than do that, you pay him. You try to figure out what you can do with the Adier Molina and Adam Wainwright, but you also get one more bat that you don't even care what he can do in the field. Get a bat. Get a legitimate bat and figure out where he fits in February or March or April or May. You don't have to have it all planned out coming into the season because if 2020 taught you anything, it's that you can't plan for everything. There are a lot of things you can't plan for. Just get the bat, though. Plan for home runs. That's good. Home runs are good. So that's kind of the way I see things right now with regard to uh, the way the Cardinals are are operating with their roster. Hopefully we get some rumors, some things we can talk about uh, as the offseason goes along. That would make sense, and I'm sure news is going to happen, of course, as well, and so we're going to break that down all on B-Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe to the show if you've not done so already. You can do that at Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of those places, and you can find the main page where it breaks down all of the locations that the podcast is found. So if you've got a different app that I haven't mentioned, you can go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12, and it lists everything right there. There's like 10 or 12 different apps that you can find the show. Would love to have you subscribe wherever you listen to your audio podcast. Appreciate you guys once again for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time.